there's a, a scene in one of the not first Matrix movie, one of the second before they made, remade the one this this year or whatever it was. Uh, I haven't seen that one. But the two that weren't great but were okay and kind of messy and complicated for no reason whatsoever, it seems right. Those. Anyway, there's a, there's a part where they're breaking into something and they say, look, the thing we're breaking into is impossible to break into, right? It's got too much security. There are too many people there. The doors are all locked. They got cameras. They got all this stuff. And they said, well, how do we do it? And they said, well... In the Matrix, which is really reality for you and I, thank you for asking, um, every system lives on top of another system. So if you can't break the system, what can you do to break the system below it to change things? And they go and they shut the power down and that's how they turn off all the security, right? That's that idea. Why on earth would I bring that up other than to say I know Kung Fu? Well, I don't. Thanks for asking. But that kind of thinking is important in what we do. There's always an opportunity to say, what's below that? What is the system below the thing we're looking at? We can't change this thing we're looking at. We can't break into this particular building. What can we look at below that system that we can change? And this is going to be that episode because we're going to talk about something that probably seems weird. It probably seems strange to think that we're going to talk about this, but it's crucial. And frankly... um, for a long time, I didn't think about it at all. It wasn't a thing in my consideration set. It wasn't, you know, in my head until I kind of said, wait a second, wait, what is a job? And then it was as if the cards started falling, you know, th- you know falling from my eyes, right? It's, I suddenly realized how complicated this thing we were talking about was, which is a huge opportunity. And that's what we're going to talk about. What exactly is a job? This is still, what section are we in? We're uh, still in chapter two of Talent Chooses You. 2.0, the son, the daughter, the revenge, the, this time it's real, this time it's personal, this time it's for money. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, the sequel on this episode of The Talent Cast. Hey everybody, James Ellis here. Welcome to TalentCast. As you probably by now know, season two of the TalentCast is the audiobook of Talent Chooses You. But since I wrote that book three years ago, I'm going to do a little better. I'm going to add more stuff. Maybe not so much because I'm smarter now, but because I have new opinions. There you go. The whole podcast series, all of season two, which will run the entire book, as an audiobook for six months is brought to you by recruitmentmarketing.com, a community for recruitment marketing professionals. Thanks to them for bringing this podcast out and turning this book into an audiobook. But first, what is a job? And that's all we're going to talk about this episode. And I've talked about this a little bit in previous podcasts, but it's still worth diving into, right? This idea of, wait, don't we all know what a job is? And the truth is, I don't know that we do. And honestly, even if we think we do, it's changing so fast that we are building systems on top of outdated thinking about what a job is, which is a great recipe for disaster. That's what we're going to talk about today. So there's no doubt that asking what is a job seems like a strange question. But as the core unit of measurement, the coin of the realm, we got to define it, right? Not as in, this is the thing you do to make money, but from a recruiter's point of view. As a concept for recruiters, what is a job? In your own role, you are expected to find someone who can be hired to fill a job, do a job, get someone who come in, make the job happen, complete the job. They can do the job. But what exactly is a job? 
Now, there was a time long ago, not that long ago, when most jobs were really well-defined. Everybody knew what an accountant did. Everybody knew what an assembler did. Everybody knew what a tool and die manufacturer was. Everybody knew what a, uh, a claims adjuster was. Everybody knew what these jobs were, right? Everybody knew what the janitor did. Top to bottom, everybody kind of knew what the job was. Each person had an assigned role and they did that role. And there were, you know, kind of people who kind of plugged those together. They, they had the org charts and they say, okay, this job does this. And that turns into a product that rolls up to this that makes this happen. They could, they could map all this stuff. And so what could be a factory, even if it was consultants, could still be mapped as a physical factory. They could just say, okay, research happens over here. You're a researcher. You're a senior researcher, which means you oversee some other junior researchers. And you do the research and you make the research and you hand the research to the blah, 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 da, 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 and it just kind of rolls out. I don't think that's how that works anymore. In fact, I know it doesn't, right? When I was in high school in the 80s, yes, I'm old, part of finishing my 10th grade year, they made us look at a literal book of career definitions. It says, I mean, they're saying, hey, you're 10th grade, it's time to start thinking about a career, which right now, I've met 10th graders and I can't imagine that any of them will ever have a job, but that's just me. Um, but there you go. But they said, you need to figure out what a job is. You need to figure out what might be interesting. You can't just say you're going to go get a job. Now is the time to think about which jobs you want and where do you want to go? Because some of these things have paths and career paths and learning curves and education requirements. So go figure it out. And so you got this book and it was a literal book and you would skim it and you'd be like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I want to do. I'm in 10th grade. I want to kiss a girl. <laughs> Maybe you want to kiss a boy. Maybe you don't want to kiss anybody. I don't know. But you're 10th grade. Your hormones are going crazy. The concept of the future is uh, in the next five minutes. And you can't, what? You're going to make these decisions for the rest of your life? What? The book itself was old, which suggested that jobs are just these things that everybody knew right? That Moses came down from the mountain with stone tablets and says, okay, this is what an accountant does. This is what a plumber does. And this is what a tool and die manufacturer does. And this is what an claims adjuster does. These are jobs. Bum, bum, bum. And Moses went back and did whatever Moses did, I guess. The assumption was you picked one. And based on that, you went to a school that would qualify you for that job. So you would have yourself put upon the path to your adult life, whatever it was. Spoiler, I don't remember what the two jobs were. I remember that I picked pilot. I don't know why. I was never going to be a pilot. I didn't want to go in the Army because that's, by the way, where most pilots are, not the Army, but the Air Force. That's where most pilots are trained. Um, I didn't want to do any of that, but I just picked one. It was a requirement I had to do it, so I did it. I don't remember what the job was. So I'm not talking about the days before people had goofy job titles like chief you know, happiness officer and, and, and uh, social media ninja person. Um, this is a time in which you could look at a company's org chart, pick a box on the chart, and have a pretty good understanding of what they did and what they accomplished all day because everybody shared a common notion understanding of what a machinist or a salesperson or a truck driver and everything else was. Today, that feels insane. That feels laughable. Someone defined a job and that definition exists long enough to exist in a book, a book that a high school could buy and hand to a kid and say, here, these are jobs and that those jobs are still valid? What? That's nuts. 
We live in a time in which the jobs are changing so fast and so regularly, we can't even keep up. I just came from a company who they would describe jobs and I would say, okay, that's a great job title, but what exactly does that job do? And every job title came with a 30 to 60 to 120 second answer of this is what that job does. And that job description or definition was effectively saying, okay, so you know how this thing happens and then someone does this thing? Yeah, I understand that. Okay, we take that thing, we do this thing to it, and then we pass it to that person. Oh, okay, I get it now. You see how that definition is so defined and in and of itself, right? An accountant in the 80s was an accountant wherever you went. Whether you were at a factory or a consulting firm or an independent agency, you were an accountant, you know what accountants do. Now, all these jobs are super, super, super messy, right? It doesn't matter what the job is. The job is always changing, right? The jobs change all the time. You're expected to learn skills. You're expected to expand that job, to expand your ability to make an impact on the bottom line. You're expected to rethink the role every year, every quarter, sometimes every week, okay? How you described what a data scientist or a marketer or an office manager did on a daily basis two years ago would get them fired today because they weren't good at what they did for their lack of ability to create value. But the book that I painted in high school was built on definitions and descriptions of jobs that HRs could use to request applications. They could build a library of jobs that could be tapped as new roles opened. Oh, we need someone who makes the numbers do the thing so that we can figure out how much we need. Oh, you want an accountant? Great. Take an accountant job off the shelf. That was that. It was simple. They didn't invent those jobs. Those jobs were because they knew if they were looking for an accountant, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of accountant type people who would say, oh, I can do that job. I want to do that job. It was a natural fit. Um, remember how you were taught how um, the reason why the Industrial Revolution was amazing was because they had this thing called uh, uh, um, replaceable parts, standardized parts. Oh, the spring on this thing died. It snapped. We got to replace it. Instead of manufacturing a spring for need, we just go to the shelf and get a new spring that's identical. You slop it in, you close it up, boom, and it keeps going. Jobs were kind of the same way. They were swappable. They were, you know, they weren't randomly created. They weren't custom created. They were pretty standard stuff. Really simple. And recruiters were expected to leverage those descriptions and those ideas when finding candidates. It's a way to make sure that we were comparing apples to apples, not apples to fine art students with a background in film and a penchant for telling blue collar stories who wanted to crack into marketing. Yeah, right? Job descriptions, the legal and HR-driven description of what the job is, exist in order to protect the company against lawsuits from people who didn't get the job or people who got fired. They say things like, must be able to lift 25 pounds above your head. That way they can reject someone with a physical disability for cause, for reasons. Hey, look, you can't do this job simply because you are unable to lift this 25-pound thing above your head, Right? If the job is not requiring lifting, that person could do that job. And that's really what a job description is. It's a legal definition to protect against and mitigate against lawsuits. But as the world gets more complicated, and when I say more complicated, I mean fluid, our ability to develop and think about job descriptions hasn't changed. We still call them job descriptions. And that's why 98% of all job postings are horrible. 
The description is trying to describe something that changes every day in a way that's supposed to be valid for years or decades. It's like trying to chart the shape of a wave. It's moving all the time. You can't really understand what it is and describe it in a medium that's designed to be put on a wall and stay static forever. It's impossible. On top of that, we try to build the marking materials on top of that to attract the candidates, but where it's on top of something that doesn't fit the actual job itself. So you get these stacks and stacks and layers and layers of ill-fitting, ill-conceived ideas, and it's no wonder it all sucks. It all falls apart. The job description are no more designed to attract a candidate as a, than a manual is designed to attract you to buy a TV, right? You don't you, when you buy a car, you buy it because of a commercial, a 30-second shot of someone driving a car and they look really happy and they say some things about how great the car is, not because you went and bought the manual on that car and read what side the car the gas tank was on and how to open the, the, the glove compartment and what is the, the 17 different ways you can adjust the seat. The job description is that manual. It's a technical legal document. A job posting, the thing you use to attract talent, is a marketing document. And that's impossible, though, when at best what we end up describing is the job of how we think our parents would have seen it from a distance, right? Oh, you're an accountant? You th- we, I, mm, I'm not an accountant, so I think it's this job, and I leverage information that was decades old about what accountants do because that's the book that it came from, and that's what I assume you were trained on, so I guess that's what we're looking for. <laughs> not surprisingly, you're not going to attract the candidates you want. You can read most job postings, honestly, as if your elderly parent was trying to sound like she knew what any of those words meant. And suddenly, a job description makes a lot more sense. (laughs) I'm just saying. The obvious end result of all this is trying to build useful, effective, and attractive job postings, not based on those horrible descriptions, but on something more real. And without that, it's no wonder recruiters have had a hard time finding applicants. They're building talent strategies on a foundation that doesn't fit. It's not even just sand. It just doesn't work. The average talent process, which is from business need to hire, takes, let's call it three months. Everybody's a little different, but let's call it three months. How much did the business need change between the day the hiring manager asked HR to say, hey, we need to open a requisition, and the day it started? How much did the job change in the three months the job was open? It changed a little. How much of the industry expectations changed in that time? How much did the job change? How much, you know, think of all the people who needed and demanded all the systems around it that create the context for that job. They all changed in that three-month span, even just a little bit, but they did change. Did the job posting change? No. But we, what we expect from the, the candidate changed. See how none of this fits in, right? But think about a job of a warehouse worker, which is a job we just assume would always be the same and always be needed. But then suddenly we introduce a bunch of robots on the floor to help move the materials around. So before the robot, the person moved all the stuff. After the robot, they were needed to be more precise in their movements and their processes to accommodate the robot. Before the robot, their job was based on how many orders they could fill in a day, and they kind of figured out their own way of doing it. After the robot, they get a raise for thinking about a process that changes how the person and the robot interact together to be more effective. 
Those are two different jobs, both called warehouse worker. And that job didn't happen over the course of decades. That change didn't happen to go over the course of decades. It happened potentially in the course of the day the robot showed up. The job is completely different in the space of that. And so the person you thought you were looking for when the business need appeared isn't the person you have to hire. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. The concept of a job isn't pilot or mechanic or, I don't know, sales rep. All jobs are kind of, in a certain way, the same. Create value for the company. Now, how you create that value and where you create that value and what, how that connects to everybody else's value creation, that is the specifics of it. But ultimately, how you create value will evolve as the needs change. And we should all just assume that. You seen that much in job postings lately? Me neither. The ability for a mechanic to replace a broken belt on a motor may be what the job was on day one, but by day 90, the job might be focused on implementing tools that predict when the belt will wear out or when it might need to be replaced before it snaps. It might be about training crews about how to maintain equipment to make less common mistakes. It might be about inventory control. It might be about fuel usage. It might be about building relationships with vendors to get better pricing or to kind of be aware of the new product coming down the line that they need to kind of anticipate. The mechanic is still driving value for the company, leveraging their internal specific mechanical knowledge, but it's not about replacing broken belts. The value is a bigger question than just belts. It's about value. The business, therefore, expects the employee to see more ways to add that value, right? Do you see how the dynamic of who's in charge and who's asking for the value and who's demanding the value and who's creating the value is shifting on a lot of levels? We talked about it earlier without using these terms as recruiters change how they are. They're not just there to facilitate the interviews. They're not just there to source candidates, but they're there to build relationships. Same way for every job. So when you're hiring a mechanic, right, back in that model, are you asking for the faster changer of broken belts? Is that the criteria in what the job is? How quickly can you swap a belt out? Because that's what the job is today. Is that what the job's going to be tomorrow? The job doesn't change because circumstances beyond control. It evolves because the people who are doing the job change. They add value. They have new ways of seeing. The people around them have new ways of seeing. They introduce new ideas. They introduce and spark new change. I've met people at every walk of life who can lament that their job is too rigid and unwilling to embrace new thinking. From maids to DMV people to sales reps to HRBPs. Yes, even HRBPs. They see how the things are and they want to make them better. Making something better is the same as saying making something different. Making something better is change. They want to access better tools. They want to extend their ability to create value. They want to streamline a process. They want to reinvent it and blow it up and drive it from scratch. They want to increase productivity. They want to automate. They want it 
They want to make it better. They want to create the change. The intrinsic value of a human being is to make something better. That's why we're living where we are and not living in caves. And that intrinsic drive of people to do better and do more is only going to be slowed by your outdated job postings. That said, that urge to change, that intrinsic motivation will never truly be contained. Ultimately, a job is a fluid concept of value creation. What you think it is today is not what it will be tomorrow. So we need to have that influence how we think about how we hire. Because even as the job morphs, we should evolve our concept of a successful hire. How do you or a company define what a successful hire is? Is it someone who shows up? Is it someone who shows up and stays for 90 days? Is it someone who gets a positive evaluation after a year? Is it someone who gets promoted? What is the definition of quality? And that's going to change because the value they're bringing there is going to change. Think about it from an economic perspective. Every single person you hire, spoiler, wants a raise. Heck, most of them expect it. But if they just do their jobs as you defined it at the initial business need level, do they deserve one? Should they get one? Should they get a raise because they did exactly what you told them to do? In a lot of industries, that's not true. Perhaps one might say that 40, 50, 60 years ago, doing the job as it was and finding small ways to do it slightly faster without changing the job would be cause for a raise. But today, I don't know. If they do the job as defined and don't push things forward, if they don't create the efficiencies or increase productivity, why would you give them more? Barring inflation, barring other kind of economic situations, if they make 100 widgets a day today and they make 100 widgets a day a year from now, why are those 100 widgets a year from now worth more salary? When in fact, chances are your prices went down because you became more efficient at it. Yeah. So if everybody wants a raise, and it's not fair to pay people more for the same amount of work, right? Everyone is driven to push for improvements and promotions. This shouldn't be an outlier. This isn't something that just randomly happens. This isn't a meteor from space. This is the expectation. This is the norm. Everybody you hire is the day one thinking about what their next promotion is going to be, what their next job is going to be, where are they taking this now? And you, and let's be fair, the rest of the company, are trying to figure out how do we get them to do this job today. People have a longer timeline in mind than companies. Your business should always endeavor to hire anybody who can find a way to push things forward. If they hire someone who doesn't want to get promoted, why would you hire them? Just contract them, gig them, right? Turn it into an Upwork job. If they're just going to do the job as described, why are you investing in them? Because by the way, hiring is about investment. It's about saying, I'm, keep, I'm, I'm paying you what, you know, more than, or I'm sorry, less than the value you're bringing back to the company because that's a fair exchange of whatever, but I'm also investing in you. Now you have the value of having worked here, the experience of working here, the experience of working on this job. You are now more valuable to somebody else, but I can feed that because I want to keep you here. It's more expensive to bring someone else to replace you than it is to keep you. So I'm going to keep you, so I'm going to invest in you. But where is that investing going? Where am I taking you? Where do you want to go? And this is exactly how leadership sees talent. 
not as cogs in a machine, but as bets that these people have the potential to pay out at a huge return. Maybe not every middle manager got this message, right? And they're trying to optimize a perfectly smooth system because management is usually motivated less by growth and more about not getting yelled at by their boss or their staff or their clients, right? Management likes likes predictable, smooth, no mistakes productivity. Sadly, that mentality doesn't create change. And it's likely that most recruiters don't see things like this. And this is where the friction is. When you hire for a role, the role is temporary because the role exists in this moment, right? What's the, the line? You cannot cross the same river twice because the, you know, and then not the end of the line, but the unstated, unstated fact is the river, because it flows, is always changing. And in a way, because it is always changing, it forces you to change. Thus, you never cross the same river twice. It's not just that the river changes, it's that you change. So when you're hiring for this role, it's gotta be thought of as temporary. It's going to evolve, it's going to change, it's going to grow because the person doing the job is gonna push to do the things that increase the rewards. They're going to learn new skills because that's how they think they're going to get the raise or the promotion. They're going to want to say, hey, how do I get new responsibility? How do I move? How do I grow? How do I, how do I get that job over there? They are always going to be asking about that. But the concept of job was based on this very static idea of this 1950s man in a gray flannel suit organization man kind of situation where you're a cog and you get slotted into that spot, you do your job, and then you retire, and then you die not in a model in which the cog, the second placed in the process, that cog is now trying to do somebody else's job or figure how to become a bigger cog or figure how to impact more parts of the business. That's not how businesses were designed. That's not how legal and HR and comms and, and, and is structured per se. Now they're evolving as fast as they can, but they're still behind the curve because ultimately they have to understand that a job isn't a thing, it's an idea. Thanks so much for listening this week. I know this is a weird one, but it's going to set us up for the rest of the conversation around the bottom of the funnel. That's going to be another big part of it. We're still in chapter two of Talent Chooses You 2.0, the revenge, the return, uh, the son of, the child of, the daughter of, the whatever of, the, the, the puppy of, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along, as you know. Um, Thanks so much for listening. As always, I want to thank RecruitmentMarketing.com for sponsoring this podcast and bringing it to you, making it freely available as a podcast. Thanks so much to them. Go check check out RecruitmentMarketing.com and all the resources they have over there. Otherwise, subscribe to the newsletter. Go to EmployerBrand.News and I will see you, uh, let's call it next week. Bye. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. 
We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.